Welcome to a brand new episode of the Yoga Girl Podcast, Conversations from the Heart. On today's show, I have an amazing person joining me. She's a yoga teacher, writer, body positivity advocate, and a mega fierce voice in the yoga for all movement. Not only that, she is one of the most herself people I know, and I admire that more than anything in the world. Get ready for a big conversation and help me welcome to the show, Jessamine Stanley. Hey, thank you so much for having me. That was like a very generous introduction. Like, you think so? Oh, I felt like, man, yeah. I could go on and on. Well, how... no, like, yeah. Go ahead. No, no how are you? <laughs> I'm, <feel> good. Like... <laughs> I'm, I'm so good. excited for this already. Yeah. No, yeah, I was, I was just going to say that, like, I feel like my only goal ever is to just try to, like, figure out how to just be myself just try to be okay with being myself and and so to have you say like she's the most herself person I know I'm like oh great okay cool so <laughs> that's going well I'm working well no I'm doing well I mean I think that we're all kind of in a a period of great change and upheaval and just general chaos but you know I I got my got my helmet on I'm trying to ride the waves I'm just just trying to get into the just trying to enjoy insanity for san- insanity's sake you know what I mean you got your helmet on like we all need our helmets on right now like <laughs> yeah. knee pads elbow pads we're just like in for for the ride of our lives I feel but I think it's so funny that you because when I when I think about you or when I you know, following you online seeing your posts everything you share you come across as as a person who's just always comfortable in her own skin, always fears, always like here for all of it. Do you feel that way all the time? Oh my goodness. Absolutely not. I don't, I think I don't feel anything all the time. I feel very much like just accepting every single day that, that I'm not going to feel the same way that I have always felt that I'm always, that there's always going to be something new afoot that Um, You know, I definitely used to be much more uncomfortable with myself than I am currently. So it's true that there was there was a time in the not so distant past when I definitely know that I did not feel consistently the way that I feel now. But even in this, you know, period of, you know, just having to accept myself in the way that you kind of have to accept yourself as you get older. I think that even within that, I still have days and moments within those days where I'm just kind of like, oh my goodness, I don't know what's going on. Like there's just, everything is upside down. And and I think that it's very humbling. And it, it also feels like a part of what the human experience is supposed to be. Like, I think I'm, I think that whenever people talk about like body positivity, body liberation, like self love, all of these concepts that seem like pretty vague and, and honestly very idealistic, that I think there's a tendency to think that if you see someone who has come to a certain place of, self-acceptance that you're like oh my god they must feel that way all the time and I just think that I'm kind of getting to a place of feeling like like I don't even think we're supposed to feel that way all the time I I don't think we're supposed to feel any one thing all the time I think it's just always changing so anyway that was my Hmm. cancerian way of saying 
Yeah, no, I do. I, I don't feel this <laughs> way all the time. <laughs> but I do feel much more at home with myself than I did when I was younger. Five, sure. Ten, sure. Yeah, but I think it's such a, you know, it is easy. And that goes for, you know, I think pretty much anyone. If you just just following them online, you know, it's so easy. Even for people, I think like you and me who who I feel, okay, I'm like tooting my own horn. But I feel like we do a pretty good job sure. at not just sharing the rosy amazing, beautiful, what a great day and how exciting is my life. But, you know, some, some form of realness present all the time. And I think even following those kinds of people online after a while, it's so easy to get caught up in that idea that everybody has it so much easier than I do in every way. You know, do you ever get that kind of, I don't know, that feeling from social media sometimes like, man, you know, (laughs) everyone else has this easy life. How do you navigate that? I guess the fine line between inspiration and like, oh, you know? Yeah. I mean, I definitely engage with things and think like, like the only time that I really get down on myself is when I'm comparing myself to other people. Like, Mm -hmm. and that's the main thing that I just try to check is like, regardless, literally no matter what is happening with someone else, I, I can only be in my own experience. And I find that to be, very, very challenging to maintain every single day. And that's why the other thing for me is just remembering, like, you don't have to feel, I don't have to feel the same way every single day. Like, I'm not supposed to, like, I'm supposed to have big ups and big downs because I learn more from the downs than I do from the ups. And there's no way to appreciate the ups if I'm not really fully present in the downs. So there's there's an aspect too, whenever I'm like, Like it'll usually happen with someone who that I follow on social media who I really respect and I really like some people I've followed for years, like before most people I follow now on Instagram, but like I followed them on Tumblr or like Blogspot or whatever. And I think that sometimes I'll engage with people like that and just be like, damn man, that person is really like they're doing it, you know, especially like in the you know this, like in the entrepreneurial game, it's like you're like always like thinking like, oh, I'm building this thing, I'm building that thing. And then you see other people doing things and it's like, oh man, I see what that person's doing, blah, blah, blah. But what I, what I try to come back to is like, I just can't worry about what anyone else is doing. Like, and this is something, it's one of the many Oprah-isms that are kind of like embedded in my life that she, I listened to something one time where she was talking about like, run your own race. Like, always run your own race. Don't think about what anyone else is doing, that the horses that that don't do well in the race are the ones that are looking in many different directions and like totally like not focused on their own path. And so that's really helpful. And then it's also really helpful for me to remember that no one's life is actually like what they're putting out on social media. <laughs> like there's no way to encapsulate all of those ups and downs in static images or videos or anything. And that we're all constantly curating based on like what we want for other people to perceive. And those are really helpful lenses for me. But I think the probably the most important thing is just trying to remember that my practice is not about anyone else. And that if I can just really live my yoga, really be in tune with my practice, then 
that is that's where my energy needs to be focused and I mean I think that again I just I feel like the ups and downs are really important and really necessary but they also they offer a lot of insight I think into who I really it's it's easy to forget that too you know I think especially when we're in it you know it's like uh, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I could really use, did you ever use the, the, the app function on your iPhone that tells you when you can and cannot be on certain apps? It's no, called, thing, oh my God, it's really good. <laughs> it's called What's like, it called it's part of screen time, which is a function in the settings mm-hmm. on the iPhone app where you can limit certain apps to like, okay, I only want to spend maximum one hour on Instagram today. And then when your hour is up, your phone shuts it down, basically. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, that is so interesting. It is really. And you can choose certain times of day, you know, like, and I, I'll put mine on. Okay, before 9 a.m., I don't want to be, you know, on any social media. I don't want to be on my phone at all. And yeah. then after 10 p.m., that shit should shut down, you know. And then I find myself like... You have to override it. If you still want to go, it's like 1030. And I'm like, I, I just want to check this one thing. And then iPhone is like, are you sure you want to go there right now? And I end up having to like fight my phone the whole night. But I feel like it would be so good to have one of those little functions for like when you're having a low day. Like there are certain days where I can be present in all of other people, what they're doing, feel inspired, feel like go everybody else. This is awesome. And then there are days where it's just like, none of this is is helping me. Like I dig myself into a pit of I'm not doing enough and look how much everyone else is doing. Do you I think? Mean, honestly, yeah. I never feel like, I, I rarely feel like I need to be on, like, like I, I know that I, I get a lot from it. I'll, I get a lot of inspiration and there are a lot of times where I'm like, oh, wow, this was like, like, I'm so glad that I saw this thing or this person or whatever that inspired me. But I feel like there's, it's very rare that I'm like, yeah, I really am glad that I spent my time this way. Like my whole thing is just like, like what you're describing reminds me of this period that I went through a couple of years actually, where I would just periodically take Instagram off my phone. And then I'd be like, okay, well then in order to use it, I have to put it back on my phone. And then it's like a whole thing to do that. So that it was a, it was a great way to get me to not really use it because it just seemed like it was so cumbersome to have to download and take off this app. But then I got to this place of like, okay, I need to use this. Like it's something that is a, it's a part of my life and like, it's fine. You know, ultimately if I can like find a way to balance it all. And that's where I keep coming back to this, like the reasons that I'll get on there or like why it's just like, I don't know. There's so much to the mindset but I feel like I can never trick myself well enough, like with, like if because if it's not on my phone, I'll just put it back on there. You know what I mean? I'm like, I know, oh. I know. And it's I feel like, like I'd be to... pissed at that app. This thing, this <laughs> situation that you're describing, where it's like it tells me that it's like, well, Justin, you know, you said that you were only gonna do it for one hour, and I'm like, bitch, I know what I said. This is me. I'm, I it's need like, more minutes now. It's like, like Netflix. Like, are you still watching? You're like, yeah, fuck you. I'm still watching this shit. Yeah. Stop, stop <laughs> judging like, yeah, me. I'm still watching. Just like what? But I, so then there, there's also this part with that experience where I find it to be so wonderful to just try to be as honest in my own presentation as possible like just trying to like really be 
authentic, like to show things that I might not want to show, but that are still Mm. true. And that is a challenge because I catch myself censoring myself all the time based on like things that I don't want to accept about myself. And so what's an example of that? Something that you don't want to don't want to share, but you share anyway. Well, I started, it started with showing different angles of my body that I was not comfortable looking at. And which is so weird because when it, when I started to do this, people think like, oh my God, you're so comfortable with your body. You're putting yourself out there. And I'm like, you're literally watching my therapy right now. Like, this is me. I have not resolved anything. I'm just putting myself out there to practice what it is to see myself fully. And so now that's like, holding different opinions and different, uh, like really speaking to the controversies that rest at the center of my inner, at the intersections of my identity that are hard and controversial. And I mean, I think there's a lot of things as a, as a fat black queer woman who is really frequently only ever allowed to exist within the stereotypes of those ideas, it's hard for people to accept that I'm a whole person and that I have like very complex and contradictory and problematic opinions. So that when I do express those opinions, people try to police me. And then I'm also policing myself because I'm like, oh, this isn't what I'm allowed to say. It's not what I'm allowed to do. I think that everybody kind of has this, like the, the ideas that we think that we're allowed to express and trying to get to this place of being like, no, this is an opinion that I have that like, you know, I just, I mean, my, the opinion that I have been waffling back and forth about whether or not I want to express this today is the fact that I'm not a fan of call out culture like call out culture being like if anyone says or does something that's problematic like it's time to call them out and like hang them out to dry and Mm. put all their business out in the streets I understand the purpose of call out culture but I also just I have I take a lot of issue with it but I think there are a lot of people who really feel the opposite of that they feel like like call it culture is great and they feel empowered by it. And, and there's this part of me that's like, do I want to talk about this on social media and then have to spend time at least emotionally, even if I never say it to someone else, emotionally defending myself or would I rather just like keep this to myself and like, I I don't have to prove my opinion to anyone else. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that opinions like that definitely come up for me, but all kinds of stuff. What's the alternative then, you know, to, to call out culture? Cause that's a big thing right now. It I mean, is, especially yeah. with the with the with the, I think the current the climate. Reason, I think the antidote to call out culture is actually trying to understand within oneself, like why we call people out, and I think that that has a lot to do with seeing within ourselves the qualities seeing within other people the qualities that we dislike about ourselves, but not wanting to do any inquiry around that. And I mm. think that when we don't take the and <laughs> I, I'm always like trying to, uh, it's one of my intimacy avoidance tactics to use the, the plural as opposed to just owning the I. I, <laughs> I, <have> to, <laughs> I find myself like not taking responsibility for my own identity because it feels easier to just like be like, oh, I hate this thing in somebody else. And so I'm just going to, I'm going to hang them out to drive. I'm not actually going to do any inquiry around how that shows up within myself. So I think that, I mean, right now it's happening a lot 
in so many different arenas, definitely in terms of like racial identity. And I think that more than, I think that the most important thing that we can do to dismantle systemic racism is for each person, everybody, to do the work of dismantling systemic racism within themselves. And I really feel like that work has very little to do with other people. And it doesn't have a lot to do with like trying to convince other people that you've like got your shit together and like that like you know everything and that these are the rules by which everyone else should live. It's basically saying like, no, actually I'm racist. I've done racist things. I I have racist ideas in my head all the time and I'm going to own them and I'm going to own my racial identity. And that that work, I think, is a lot scarier and more complex, and it feels easier instead to just call people out. So I don't know. I mean, I just think that, I think there's yeah. there's a lot to be said for the other side. No, I mean, I mean, that's, a, and that's a huge, huge, you know, spiritual practice, <laughs> the, the, the practice exactly. of recognizing in other people the things that trigger me, that upset me, that get me all riled up, you know, the, especially the things that I feel so upset about to the point that I need to vent this publicly if it's on social media or tell the whole world about this thing that this person did, that there must be something in that behavior, that thought, that belief, that pattern that somehow speaks to me, right? Otherwise, I wouldn't be so triggered. It's so easy exactly. to separate ourselves from the things that we don't agree with. Like, okay, you know, <laughs> it's like when people give us whatever shit on social media for any reason, we have certain things that trigger us. Like I'll have someone will tell me like, oh my God, you're such an ugly bitch. And I'll, I'll go, <laughs> oh, that's fun. Thanks. You know, it doesn't even like register because I don't believe that I'm an ugly bitch. Right, <laughs> and then someone right. will be like, hey, you know, are you really, should you really keep your kid out in the sun at that time of day? That doesn't seem like good parenting. And I go, <gasps> Oh my God, wait, what, what time is it? How strong is the sun? Am I a horrible parent? You know, and I start spinning into this thing. It's like, oh, deep down, I'm worried I'm not a good enough mom. So yeah, that comment triggers me, but it's not about them, right? It's about me. And I think that call out culture now, it's like with, you know, with the whole world finally openly publicly declaring and realizing that we live in a racist society. Everybody's a fucking racist. It's mm-hmm. been a little bit like white people, like white woman Olympics of like, I have learned more <laughs> than you. And I read, listen to more podcasts and I have more black friends than you do. And I have, you know, <laughs> and it's been, it's been, you know. Oh my man. God. And it's so intense to a point of being extremely awkward where people are like doing all that they can to like further a movement and a cause that they don't understand and that they don't understand how they are holding up these pillars of racism. And it's just really, it's fascinating to watch what it's like when anti-racism is trending because it never really has been before. Like it's fascinating to me. And, and honestly, I just think that it's, it's better than what was happening before. So there's only so much shade that I can throw, but I also, I am witnessing the white woman Olympics for sure. And it's like, it's, it's very, very interesting to watch. (laughs) That's all I can really say. I don't know if you follow, I I, I was sharing in one, I don't know if it was the last week's, one of these podcasts anyway, uh, a woman named Rebecca Borocki. I think I'm pronouncing her last name right. She's Beck's life on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And she told me something. So it was like the most, 
the most simple thing, <laughs> but it's really, 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 it's like become this little mantra that I keep repeating my, to myself because I found myself in this conversation, having only conversations with white women about, mm. you know, white women calling me out, telling me, you said that wrong. You did that wrong. You should have done better back in 2016, all this stuff, you know, and I, and I, and I shared with her, like, for me, the, the, the energy stuck here, it's, it's being lost in all these conversations with white people calling me out on all these things, you know? And she told me, well, Rachel, you don't have to go to every fight you're invited to. Like, <laughs> I love that. And it just hit me like, okay, I'm wasting all this time. Like, this is actually not helpful, not teaching me anything. It's not the right people to listen to right now, but it's become exactly. this spiral of, and I think we're seeing it everywhere. And it's really, really, really hard for human beings, I think, overall to sit in that discomfort within themselves. Of course, me included, sure. like fucking everybody included. Everybody. Everybody. But do you see, yeah. do you see a huge, like... Next year, will we talk about 2020 as the year when racism ended, when everything changed? Like, what's what's your take? Oh, my God. <laughs> that Okay, so this is literally probably my biggest issue with, with anti-racism trending is that it feels like a lot of white people have been like, oh, my God, I didn't want to acknowledge racism before, but, like, now it's time to recognize it, and we can pretty much get this fixed by Christmas. Like, it'll be, we can get everything <laughs> cleared up. Like, everybody will read a bunch of books, and we'll, we're going to go to some marches, and it's going to be Project really manage the great. shit out of this, and it'll be done. Yeah. Yeah, and I just don't – I mean – and I don't know if this is me being pessimistic. I'm sure it is, but it's also after a lifetime of knowing that racism exists, I just don't really believe that short of completely dismantling capitalism, I don't really see how racism is going to go anywhere, especially if people are unwilling to do the real work of dismantling it within themselves. Mm -hmm. So that to me, it feels like the idea of it being gone by... 2021 is vaguely ludicrous to me. It feels like I don't, I'm just confused about, I would love to see the roadmap because I would think that perhaps maybe in a couple of generations, we will have children. I don't, I just don't see it happening with anyone who's above the age of 20, honestly, but like maybe there'll be another generation of kids that's coming, I think maybe probably in like one to two generations where they are less polluted by racism than we are. But otherwise, like it just, there's so much, it's just so deep. It's in everything. The water is polluted. The soil is polluted. And like, there's really, I think the most that we can do at this point is just accept. And there is so little emphasis on acceptance it's basically like it feels like there's more of a push toward pretend and or like put something put it into a box that can be then like stored away and I mean even in the even in the resolutions I think like I noticed there's such a push toward like donating money and I'm like how much money how much money will fix racism like I don't it's it feels like an infinite amount of money is necessary and I would never take a dime of any form of reparations if it meant that in return that every white person was going to have a conversation with every other white person in their life about how the ways in which they uphold systemic racism. Like, I, I feel like there's no, but right now there's such an emphasis on like 
donating money and reading books. I mean, like how many books there's, there's no, the only thing that we, when we read a book and it feels like truth, it's not because it's a new idea. It's because it feels like somebody is voicing something that we already understood. And I think that like, there's only so many books that you can read before there's that work of just understanding within yourself. So I don't know. I mean, I just, yeah, I would say I'm not that optimistic. And, and I also just don't really, I don't really see it to be the point, but um, right, I right. am, I'm definitely heartened by the number of people that are talking about it. That is amazing and incredible to me. And just like, what has been needed for so long. Oh my God. Like every time that someone has told me that I'm playing the race card or trying to make them, I had to break up with someone a couple years ago because they, she told me that she didn't understand the black lives matter movement, that she didn't understand why it wasn't more um, legislative, more focused toward legislation. And I was like, like we were having, she told me that this was around the time that Donald Trump deferred the the time of the 2016 hmm. election. And she was like, I, her parents were Trump supporters. And she, I, she told me that she didn't feel comfortable having hard conversations with them about Donald Trump. And I was just like, oh, wow. this is not like, I mean, and these are common feelings, like thinking that, you know, well, there's not really anything that I can say. And I just feel like, that is the work that's necessary. Like, don't think that someone is trying to hurt your feelings by pointing out racism. Don't think like, and I just think that we're still in this place of like people being like hurt feelings and wanting to to fix it by brunch and like all these things that just don't feel in line right. with the level of catastrophe that it is. No, and I mean, this is the society of quick fixes for everything, you know? Exactly, exactly. And I think this is, if this year, if anything, or this time, this movement now, if anything, it's maybe the acknowledgement of the problem, which maybe exactly. I think people are confusing with, with the healing of it. It's like mm -hmm. anything within yourself, like realizing, man, I have a huge, you know, massive trauma from my childhood here. It's the moment you realize that that's the beginning, you know, and then you have a lifetime of, of, of healing and, and, and coming to terms with what that is. And this is just that, but on a massive global societal scale, that's just hard for exactly. any one person to imagine. And it's just like, we're all doing it together. And I think there's yeah. so much beauty and power in that. Like knowing that the person right next to you is having just as hard of a time with this as you are. Like that everyone is dealing with their shame and their guilt and trying to understand privilege in their lives. And, and I think that there's just, There's so much beauty in that collective healing if we just let it happen. Like, mm. don't try to run mm. from it, just let it happen. There's something about thinking about the future generations, but it's also our parents thought of us as the future generations. You know, our grandparents mm -hmm. thought of our parents <laughs> yeah. as like, next generation is going to be so much better. And yeah, certain things are better, but certain things are also worse. There's no, you know, just trusting that the future is going to take care of everything. It's like, right doing that work as parents, in the community, as teachers. Um, yeah, that's really It's good. like, I feel like every stage is important, though. Like, I think that the growth that happened from my parents' parents to their generation was incredible. And then the growth from hmm. my parents' generation to my nieces and nephews is 
really tremendous, like the amount that has happened in such a short period of time. But again, with like, I think we're always looking for like a quick fix or wanting things to be like, like we'll solve it immediately. And it's like, there's a lot of things that need to be fixed. And I think it's, I think it's unrealistic to think that like, cause I mean, when you think about how long the earth has been around and then how long humanity has been around, like a couple generations is mostly not that big of a deal. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's you know, like it's, it's fine. It maybe not be, it might not be our lifetime that there's change, but there's, I think that uh, starting this dialogue now and, and it also, I mean, this is one of the times, honestly, where I had to think the pandemic, like, I think that the pandemic was such a huge part of bringing us to this point. And it sucks. There's a lot of shittiness in this. I don't want to downplay. I don't want to make it seem like, oh, my God, it's so great. We have a pandemic that then makes people so angry and like feeling powerless that, you know, they're driven to the point of understanding racial inequality. But at the same time, that is what happens. So it's, I think there's a lot for us to reflect upon collectively. And there's a lot of healing to be done. A lot of healing to be done. So how have you, have you seen or or felt inside of you through all of this, uh, a shift when it comes to the spiritual side of things, when it comes to your yoga practice, your teaching, are you sensing that within as well? Yes. And probably more so than I recognize, honestly, I think that the thing that really stands out to me is just how much every moment of practice that I had prior to this, prior to 2020, felt like it was just preparation for all of this. Like, I feel like every, I feel a a necessity and a sense of urgency with, with my own personal commitment to living in my practice that I think I did not feel before. I don't think I was galvanized in the same way that 2020 just as a whole has galvanized me. Like I feel as though, like I've, I've felt for a long time that there's no way to take care of our communities if we don't take care of ourselves. And I felt that deeply and fully, but there's an added intensity to it when I think about just the extent to which people are feeling totally depleted, feeling like like they have nowhere to turn, that there's that there's no resolution, like and knowing that I have every it's I can be a part of that. And I can also not be a part of that. And that if I am conscious and in my practice, that I can share that energy with other people. And so there feels like a, I feel galvanized to practice in a way that I think I didn't before. And I think in some ways, because of the obsession with the physicality of yoga, And I think because of the, like, it's association with exercise and fitness and all these, like, really traditional, like, ideas of what it means to be well, that I think there's kind of a curve that I'm noticing with other practitioners where it's like, 
oh shit yeah this is actually a spiritual practice okay yeah okay yeah I can, I can get into that so so there's this aspect too of being trying to be open to that and trying to be like like um n- like really just getting into the idea that everyone needs to find their way to some sort of healing practice like even if it's like you don't have to call it yoga. It doesn't have to be like, it, it really doesn't matter what you call it, but finding some connection to the eternal truth. And that that's the only way, that's our only means of survival at this point. So like when I say that I, I feel galvanized, it's definitely coming from this place of like, the only way that we can survive is if we're all individually taking care of ourselves and that that individual work turns into this, collective healing and I think that it's helpful to remember that everyone is at different stages in that process and on that journey and that 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 healing looks different for everyone and just trying to allow myself to try to embody compassion as much as possible but it's hard I think it's hard and especially when there's so much distraction coming from my own personal drama you know what i mean <laughs> i know <laughs> I, I i know what you mean i know what you mean and i think it's been last time we spoke this was like like i can't remember exactly it was a couple of weeks ago we did the bathroom mm-hmm. that bathroom floor thing we spoke a little bit about you know translating just as as teachers in this field translating the use of these tools and this kind of, of storytelling and this sharing this kind of practice without having people physically present in the room. Mm -hmm. Is this something that you feel? Because I'm contemplating a lot, you know, is it going to be a moment where we come back and suddenly we have trainings and retreats and, or is this just a new way of being where, okay, I'm going to be looking for ways to connect with people who aren't physically in the space in front of me. Yeah. Like I, I, I don't remember if I said this before, but I, the introvert in me honestly has never really enjoyed in person anything. Like I like it for the, there's a kind of energy that you get from being around other people that you can't, it, you can't replicate it. It's so specific to community, but it also for me proves to be extremely distracting and very much, it pulls me away from the experience of introspection and just coming into myself. And so I have deeply valued this uh, time where we are able to be communal, but not actually have to share the same space. If only because I think that there's more opportunity for dealing with the hard questions and, and pulling at this, like tilling the soil that feels too stiff at times, whenever we're not, uh, whenever we're not being pulled away into, oh, look who else is here and what are, what are other people doing mm-hmm. and what does, what, and then I think especially as the, when I'm in a position of leading class or teaching or holding space or however we're going to phrase this, because really I always just feel like as much as I'm like, I call myself a teacher and that's what the profession is called, but I just really feel like I'm a practitioner who just, 
I just I love watching you together. teach. Like I've got your classes on on like Instagram Live. I love it. I could just you're you're sitting there like smoking a joint, just casual. Yeah. Like what's up, everybody? And it's there's something about that that's just so present moment. Well, and I know and some so people really listening are, are not going to agree because there's this whole yeah. thing. I would love to talk a little bit about weed too, but there's something about that as a teacher, you just being there as you are versus this idea of, oh my God, I'm going to teach yoga now. I got to put on this hat where I now right. suddenly transform into this greater knowing person on a pedestal imparting all my wisdom where it's like, hey, we're all in this at the same track. We're all dealing with the same exactly. shit, same anxiety, same stuff, you know, and let's commune in that. Exactly. I think- and it's like, I feel like I can be more in that space when I'm not physically in the same room as people. Because I think that sometimes there's a tendency to want to like, I don't even know, I don't know if it's coming from me or if it's coming from the practitioners. Like, I think it's probably like a I'm offering it and then everyone else is doing it too. But it's this feeling of like, exactly as you were saying, like, okay, so this is a hat that I need to put on to some degree, even if it's just like enough of a hat to be able to like come in and talk to the other people who work at the studio, like whatever, there's some level of hat that feels inauthentic to me or it feels like unnecessary it feels not the point and for me like being able to have the just be in my own space and be like okay this is just what this i'm just gonna practice and like if you're into it you can practice with me and like if you're maybe your practice today is to just watch maybe your practice is to you know practice a posture and let that be your practice for the day but like that you don't have to feel what everyone else is doing this is everyone else is on their second or third sun salutation and I haven't come out of shavasana so like maybe there's something wrong with me nope there's nothing wrong with you you're living your practice and like I just feel like I'm able to have that experience more fully without having other people around but it does also create the space for uh showing people parts of my practice that are definitely more unorthodox and are more or I guess maybe not unorthodox but they're definitely more controversial like uh smoking weed in general is like pretty controversial I would say in the yoga world so I mean I've there's also that aspect of it that pulls up a lot but it also I think creates that space for us having deeper conversations about yoga like yoga has just been so one-dimensional on on social media in particular it's been very one-dimensional for a long time and it is so much more complicated than that singular dimension so um I mean in a lot of ways I'm really into it what about you like you you're definitely more of an in-person teacher than I am so like I'm curious about what your feelings are related to this I don't know I'm starting to realize that maybe I'm not (laughs) I I don't know you know I have I have friends who used to call me like I have a friend who used to call me she calls me this generation's ama you know ama the saint the hugging saint And she would always make so much fun of me because I would teach these classes and then I would stick around for hours, like way more hours than I spent teaching just to hug everybody. That was like this thing that I did that I would hug people for six hours. And that was like, wow. And I'm thinking now, like, (laughs) 
Maybe I'm not at all even remotely that kind of person who actually enjoys these big crowds and all these people, but I had this idea that it was expected of me. So I had to give everyone a little more of my time, a little more of myself to justify that they came all the way there. And I don't know, it's been a big, for me, it's been a big emotional learning of, I actually had, this was last year, I had this big basically a big burnout where I was sick for almost a year and I had all these mm. groups and retreats that I was still leading. And I had a really, one of my most like memorable moments of last year was I had a, a little panic attack meltdown right at the end of a retreat that had been really intense and really, yeah, just beautiful. But at the end I had like a, I almost made it through mm -hmm. and then I had a panic attack. And then I had a oh. friend of mine, I was co-leading this retreat with, she has a, a, a daughter who was eight, I think at the time, and as she left, it was right after I had this moment of mega anxiety and all these people and everyone wanted to hug me again, you know, oh God. And, yeah. and, and her daughter came up to me and she said, Hey, Rachel, this is my intention that I was going to put in the fire because we had like an intention ceremony for the retreat, but I forgot yeah. to put it there. And I realized that it's actually for you. So she like put this little note in my hand and she said, read it later. Like she was like, Oh, shamanic about it this eight-year-old and then she took off and I like unfold his note in my hand and the intention was stop talking to strangers oh my god oh my god and I had this moment where like I looked up at the sky and I just bawled like I just cried I was like oh man and like no offense to anyone of course like the community the people who practice with yeah. me like I love them so much but I have had a lot of years of speaking to strangers online, yes. on the internet, people passing by, taking a class. And I think I need to gather more of that energy into myself. Bitch, I don't know. I feel you. I cannot <laughs> overstate the extent to which I feel you. Like that is so, that is the thing that is, I think most misunderstood about teaching and practicing is that if you are like, a deeply emotional person who does this practice like as a means of healing themselves, then it is, there's this aspect, I think, of like vulnerability that we have to, that is a naturally occurring thing in the practice. But then when you're sharing it with other people and it's in this capacity where like there is some, there has to be some aspect of performance, I think, in order to be able to maintain for long periods of time. And so in that space, I think that people then come expecting to be as if they've been privy to everything else that you're offering they feel like they're privy to your vulnerability as well and if you have to stack that on top of like it's like group after group after group after group all at the same time and I just think that that is it's so hard to verbalize to other people and I really appreciate you verbalizing that with me because I so <laughs> deeply identify with that I can't even tell you that's why that's a huge part of why I'm like I before this like try to limit when I'm teaching where and like and then why I've been so happy since quarantine has started because it's not that personally like it's not that I don't want to have the intimate connection it's that I can't handle it like it's a lot it's a lot to be engage with that way so anyway I feel that deeply. yeah no there's a, there's a component of being just on I think it doesn't exactly. even necessarily have to be that you're sharing something super specific but just that onness 
it's it's hard to to balance that if we don't have enough downtime, enough introspection, enough, you know, coming down, like turning off. Exactly. And I think last year that was that was my burnout. It was I never turned off, you know. And now I have this note. It says, stop talking to strangers. It's on my altar. And I look at it every day. And I'm like, it reminds me that that I have a choice. It's a choice, right? I can be on, talk to everybody. And then I can turn that off and not see anyone and not communicate and not even take in information from other people if if I don't want to. Literally. I mean, that's even like it. I just, I really identify with all of that. (laughs) And if I can just off, just because it's been on my mind. So like I, my birthday was on Saturday. Yeah. I was going to say happy birthday, cancer, you. Thank you. Well, so that's so, okay. I'm a cancer. I'm a double cancer, cancer sun and cancer moon. And I have a bunch of different cancer placements. And one of the things with that is that we are so afraid. Well, I don't want to say we, because I'm doing that separating thing. So I have (laughs) such a fear of, losing my loved ones and losing the people that are close to me that I close myself off in advance. That's the Cancerian shell is like trying to just like make, it's like, there's so many emotions and I'm scared to have my feelings hurt. So I just like close off. So I spend a lot of time by myself, like being just like my little, like just being in my little shell. And through this birthday weekend, I've had so many people reach out to me expressing love and in this way that just feels so, I mean, it fills my heart so big. And then I feel that feeling of like, what if something happens and then no one loves me anymore? And it's this weird thing of like, oh my God, I'm like, I'm so close to I don't even know. I don't really know where I'm going with this. Not at the <laughs> no, end, but it's but like I basically, it. I just really, it's hard to to hold all of the feelings that are coming from other people because for me, it is distracting from the the feelings that I have for and by mm. myself, and and I get. But it's hard um, to receive. It's also that, it's that's hard something that to people receive. don't talk about a lot. We think that. We need more. We need to be seen more. We need more love. If only people appreciated me more. But then sometimes the truth is we actually have a lot of that. We just don't know how to actually open up and receive it. You know, have you heard that saying? I can't remember. It's some movie where they say we accept the love we think we deserve. It's like we can be so showered with all the love and all the appreciation. But if we don't actually believe genuinely that we are worthy of receiving it, it's just going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be like stop looking at me, you know, (laughs) like exactly we'll close ourselves off first, like go back in the shell a little bit, but we can practice that too, right? Like coming out of the shell also as the crab and as the cancer, like coming out and then bathing in the love and then retreating. Like that's why I, I feel very grateful for all of the people in my life who are not cancers. Like I have, (laughs) I'm partnered with an Aries and a Gemini and both of them are like, so insanely different and and so many people who work with me are like like our air signs or fire signs and we're like just so that I need that kind of and I think that there's something that's offered on the other end as well but I mean I'm selfish I can't get beyond what they offer me as well so <laughs> can we talk all about that just a little bit so polyamory you have two partners it blows my mind with so much like I'm so fascinated and interested and 
I want to learn so much more. But you're the only person I know who is polyamorous. And I just, I feel like this is a whole world that I have not, that I'm not privy to. Like I have not explored. Could you share, like how long have you guys been together? So my partner, one of my partners I've been with for almost a decade. And then my, my other partner, we've been together for a little over a year. And we all live together now as well. We share a house together. And it is something that, I, you know, I was thinking like, I feel like a lot of people are low-key polyamorous and they wouldn't, they probably wouldn't describe their relationships that way. But like a lot of married couples, like who've been married for a really long time, I think that they're low-key poly. Maybe they don't have sexual relationships or even romantic relationships with other people, but that they do have other deep emotional connections. And and for me, polyamory, it more than being about being with other people, it's just about radical honesty and just trying to be as honest as I possibly can with these other people. And that the main thing that I have to be honest about is that the first relationship that I'm in, the most important relationship that I'm in is the relationship that I'm in with myself. And that that relationship is always going to come first and that it has to come first in order for me to be intimate with them, but that if I tell them that the first relationship that I have is with them, then that's dishonest. And that's not, I'm never going to be giving them what, what they need and what they're looking for. And I think that the practice of radical honesty, though, is hard as fuck. And I do not think that it is for everybody. And I think that you know, so we talk about all this um, on my podcast, Dear Jessamine, which you can find at dearjessamine.com. We talk about how like polyamory, the what it's like to get into it and what it's like to practice it and what it's like to claim it for yourself, that all of these things have really intense repercussions and that there's a lot of different edges to them. And I mean, I have learned a lot about myself through my polyamorous relationships. And I mean, I've said many times that some of the most important yoga teachers that I've had have been my romantic partners because they teach me a lot about the world and about how to treat other people and, and how I need to be treated. And, but I, and I, I think that sometimes when people hear that, uh, that hear that you're poly, that they're like, wow, it must be like, you're just like fucking someone new every night and like doing all this like crazy, you know what I mean? And I'm like, God, I wish, I so wish. Mostly it just means that I'm like having an emotional breakdown with someone like every day. Like it's like, we're like in a constant state of dealing with the ups and downs and, and just accepting all of these things. But a huge part of why I started talking about it was just because I didn't know a lot of, I didn't know a lot of other poly people. I was like you in this, like, except I was living this lifestyle and just feeling like, damn, I don't really have a lot of poly community. And so what's been dope about talking about it more is just like having more community with other people who are living this lifestyle. And, and then also recognizing that there are a lot of people who, I don't even think it's necessarily that they are interested in polyamory, but just that they're interested in honesty and having more honest connections with their partners. So that's really right. cool about it too. No, and I think I think that's that's really it. That's what's so fascinating. Not you know mul the multiple partner idea or, or the sexual right. relationship of it, but like 
the amount of truthfulness and vulnerability it must take for that to work genuinely. Exactly. And I mean, if you would think of anyone in a, you know, in, in a, in a twosome or in a part, in a partnership like me and my husband, if I was only intimate with him in terms of vulnerability or truth telling or friendship, I would be really lonely. You know, if I didn't have anybody else, it's like we're meant to have these multiple levels of connection. And I, I think it's exactly it's really exciting just to, to expand beyond the box of what that has to look like. Exactly. I, I think it's that's, it's that's scary, compelling. though. And I think that there's so much around radical honesty and then polyamory more specifically, like they require like actually uncovering like trauma and sadness and and the root of jealousy and where that comes from and and I think that for me that kind of introspection just feels like invaluable at this point it feels it feels like the reason for being alive honestly Mm. Mm, the reason for being alive hell yes I just want to go to Durham, North Carolina. You should. <laughs> go to the river with you. Well, first, first I've got to come to Aruba. But after okay, that, I'll try not to bring coronavirus. Here. I'll do my best. <laughs> but that's, so maybe not till next year. But please come. <laughs> maybe not till next come. year. Come get in the river. I would Blaise so love to. We'll meet time. in person sometime soon. So for everybody listening, you know, how can we be of service to you today? Oh, please. Just... The main way that you can be of service to me is to take care of yourself. Oh my God, please value your own self-care and healing first. And if you want to kick it with me on the internet, if you want to practice with me, you can find me at my name is Jessamine on Instagram. You can hit up my website for when my classes are going to be. It's jessaminestanley.com. You can go to my yoga studio, The Underbelly. We're at The Underbelly Yoga on IG and other social platforms. And you can try a free two-week trial of the app on The Underbelly belly.com you can also get our merch there you can get my book everybody yoga there and if you're into polyamory and you want to learn more about it then you can hit up dearjessamine.com or follow us at dearjessamine and if you're interested in cannabis and you are like oh we didn't to get, get the cannabis with yes the, yeah it's like <laughs> it's a thing that i think a lot of people especially as we start talking about like dismantling systemic racism racism and um, the, its many insidious forms shows up in cannabis prohibition. And if you're interested in being a part of that movement, you can check out We Go High NC. It's an organization that I co-founded. We are we focus energy on North Carolina, but our thought in general is that nowhere, anywhere on this planet, no one should be in jail for weed. So if you're into that, hit us up, wegohigh.info. Follow us at wegohighnc. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I got to say the merch for the underbelly. It's so cute. It's a get in on it. So, so thank you so much for joining (laughs) me. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. you. 
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. And a big thanks to my amazing guest, Jessamine Stanley. If you enjoy the show, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of the Yoga Girl podcast, Conversations from the Heart. You can find all of them on yogagirl.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you normally get your shows. Don't forget to leave a review while you are there. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. The Yoga Girl podcast will be back next week.